Could everyone casually shut the fuck up? Welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live 
every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. You can support this project, echoplexmedia.com. Uh, click the support tab and uh, pick your favorite. I'm Producer Dave, and I can be found on Grinder. What's up, everybody? This is The Councilman. You can find me on X at T-H-E underscore Councilman. You could also find me up in the overflow room at City Council uh, because apparently they decided that only half the seats were needed in the council chambers this last week because uh, they had some hot button subjects uh, coming up. So they, they put everyone into the, the overflow room. So they were all watching on TV and then they got called in one at a time to speak. It was very classy. Very classy. Oh, that's that's weird. Yeah, they even, had, they even put... Uh, shoddy uh, makeshift blue tarps over the seats that weren't being used like they basically blocked off every other row um and limited seating in the actual chambers this is something they did during covid um for social distancing when they were just coming back but certainly not since then and really no rhyme or reason to it other than the fact that there was a whole shit ton of folks showing up to uh ask them to uh pass a ceasefire resolution which was not on the agenda and so, uh, <clears throat> when, when we like during the uh, public comment we watched Cobb county waste a bunch of time on this and like the jokes in the chat were pretty dark people in the chat were like oh the Cobb county board of supervisors did not come to a resolution the conflict wages you know rages on or whatever and it's like <laughs> dude like i mean right. i understand that you know people you know want their their city representatives to be on the right side of stuff but it's a it's a waste of time it really is it's a waste of the, the city or the county's time um you know if you're interested in what your representative thinks about uh global affairs you could reach out to them and ask they would probably be happy to give you answers on some stuff 100 percent uh more than likely they've issued a statement of some sort one way or the other or trying to find some sort of middle ground um so yeah reach out to your representatives find out where they stand and if you don't like it then you can vote against them next time around but yeah don't waste my time and don't waste uh the city council's time don't waste the city's dollars the city of san jose especially has very limited time and very limited dollars to, to spend <laughs> um and they really can't waste time on things that they can't really affect um you know I, i'm sure that prime minister netanyahu as soon as he heard that san jose passed a resolution calling for a ceasefire he was just gonna you know pull all the troops right away that's exactly what was gonna happen so but on um, the flip side of this, you folks. can contact your the person who is your representative in the House or your senators, because those people do vote on uh, America's foreign policy. And you should, if you don't like America's foreign policy, you should contact them, especially if they voted a way that you think doesn't represent their constituents. You can be like, hey, you know, I'm this person and, you know, I wish, you know, I think you should vote this way on these issues. But your, your local city council and your county board of supervisors, even like in New York City, where they probably have a bigger army than fucking most people, most countries, even they can't do anything about it. So just, you know, just keep in mind that the, the that your, your city and county representatives are there to do a job. And, you know, maybe, maybe don't be like Shasta. Don't be like, because that, that's like, that's some Shasta County crap, right? Both the, the, the people coming in and talking about stuff, the board has no, um, purview over and then the board reacting in what i think is a fairly immature way by covering the seats in tarps <laughs> yeah uh so know, know your audience um very good point about the federal office and we'll come to that a little bit later in terms of who your congressperson is M much of the south bay and silicon valley gets to choose who their congressperson is now for the first time in 30 odd years so uh good on you um but uh shall we get to the docket 
We shall. We shall. Um, did, did you know that when big events come to cities, uh, it's usually uh, not great for the, the small and medium-sized uh, businesses that uh, are near the big event, especially if the event is a high-security event like, uh, like APEC was? I, I had heard that. I think it was like on local news somewhere, but maybe maybe this clip will have something about that. Also, just don't let them build a fucking stadium in your town either, but that's a whole other matter. There's a whole other down ballot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is, um, yeah, this, it appears to be a lot of businesses in like a, like a mall type area. I think it's in the, the Metreon itself where a lot of these businesses, they were like, oh, this is going to be great. You're going to make all this money. And then like nobody could get there. And like the people at Ape, APEC weren't going to go, you know, shopping at the little Boba Tea place or whatever. The, the, a lot of the events there were catered and whatnot. So let's see. Let's see what the uh, local business owners have to say about this. Usually we don't like the local business owners because they're complaining about the city. But in this case, they have a legitimate beef. And maybe one of these places has legitimate beef. Who knows? Or pork. At businesses in San Francisco who are suffering more than any other city in the country. Bring at least 90% of the employees back. Absolutely, we need to be coming back five days a week. Struggling small businesses, shuttered stores, and even more could close in downtown San Francisco if there is not some change. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Larry Beal. And I'm Kristen Z. Part of building a better Bay Area includes supporting small businesses. Downtown San Francisco is struggling. Since COVID hit in 2020, a large number of businesses have closed. Many studies say as many as 50%. Now, there were hopes that APEC would help, but many small businesses said that only hurt them more. And now those small business owners say they do have a solution. ABC 7 News reporter Leanne Melendez here now with more on what they are saying and asking for. Well, in their minds, uh, the solution is for people to come back to work full time, five days a week in person. Because, you know, small businesses say for them, the hybrid situation where people work from home on some days and come to work in person on other days isn't cutting it. You know, they claim that the city hall, that city hall hasn't done enough to push the private sector to come back. And as we found out, the largest employer in this city still has a hybrid policy. This could well be the epicenter of San Francisco's doom loop, Folsom and Second Street, south of Market. Don't take it from me. Ask Jeff Handy, owner of Social 303 Restaurant, in the shadow of this once booming neighborhood. This building that I'm standing in front of used to have 4,000 people in it. There's 400. So you're looking at businesses in San Francisco who are suffering more than any other city in the country. Bringing those people back into the office more than two to three days a week has been a challenge for the city, regardless of what the mayor has said in the past. Who doesn't? Well, hold on. This isn't the city's decision, right? I mean, not necessarily. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that the city can force the issue anyway. Um, I, I mean, I, unless they make it like a condition of business permitting or something like that. But I don't know that that's legal or constitutional. Doesn't want to go meet with their coworkers after work and have a drink and let the traffic die down. Apparently. Well, that's the thing is, if you got to work from home today, you could just walk down the street to your local pub and meet people that you don't work with <laughs> of people who live or work in san francisco return to work policies were not as heavily uh, endorsed in san francisco so that hurt all of us and it continues to the oasis grill next to the embarcadero center is a classic example 
Since COVID, they have not recovered and find that the private sector has little interest in supporting small businesses. Oh my God, those wraps look amazing. But downtown mm. recovery is achievable if people come back into the offices. To bring at least 90% of the employees back. Because How do you do that? I don't know. This is maybe the mayor should do that, the government. We asked a government official how the city plans to bring back the workforce more often than just a few days. We are exponentially impacted by the amount of tech and public service businesses that have chosen to remain remote. And so at the end of the day... But this city, hold on a minute, the city also has employees still working from home. They, they do have the ability to stay home two days a week. And again, that is the decision of the mayor, ultimately the mayor. Should that change? I think we are in a place right now where we need to, we can, we can go to flex schedules. We can allow people to do not necessarily nine to five in some areas, but absolutely we need to be coming back five days a week. Next stop, the mayor. Will you ask city employees to come back to work five days a week? So to be clear, most of our 34,000 city employees are back at work, um, most of them, but I think the, the, you know, you see City Hall is pretty much at capacity in other city buildings. Many of the folks who are maybe not at work are a lot of our technical support, um, but it's, it's more than uh, I think the latest number, and maybe I should get the latest number to give it to you, but it's a really high percentage. City Hall eventually got back to us to report that Approximately three-quarters of city staff is working in person full-time. Since the, uh, the pandemic, things have changed. And do I want everyone at work all the time? Yes, I do. To make matters worse for these small businesses, APEC didn't deliver the kind of boom they anticipated for a number of reasons. First, there was a security zone imposed by the Secret Service. As APEC started to step in, um, we anticipated a three-day heavy closure with a little setup. It was much larger than expected. As we can all know, it really became a 10-day um, shutdown for the entire neighborhood. Secondly, people were told to work from home to avoid the traffic jams and the protesters. From Fisherman's Wharf to downtown, to Union Square, to Japantown, there's no question it was quieter throughout the city. Um, people did heed the warning. According to the Yerba Buena Community Benefit Center, the average revenue for small businesses near Moscone Center was down by more than 64%. Now many of these affected businesses are hoping the city keeps its promise of compensating them for their losses. Now a reminder that a resolution was passed to set aside $10 million in the event that there would be heavy losses. And as we now know, that certainly happened. You know, and bringing people back four to five days, they say, well, you know, that's more sandwiches that we can sell, mm -hmm. more coffees. Mm -hmm. So they're really relying on that. But, um, you know, the, the city hall, city officials have told me that their fear is that if they really force city employees to come back five days a week mm -hmm. and many are but if they force them then they're going to lose them to the private sector that could be they're competing that against you yeah. yes. that's why it's so yeah. tough absolutely right? yeah it's yeah. going to be hard to force yeah the city's going to have a hard time recruiting if you don't have like flex time oh very much so um i mean cities and public agencies already have a hard time in general recruiting um the pension is a nice thing but it really only matters if you're going to be there for 20 30 years and no one's really looking at that kind of career anymore so the public sector doesn't have as much to offer anymore. Um, the stress level is higher. The work level is, load is higher. 
Um, and you're making probably as much as you could make in the private sector and not getting as many perks. So yeah, this is not going to help anything. Um, but yeah, I don't, I also don't see how outside of your employees, right? Like your own, the city employees, I can see how they could force the issue there. Um, uh, in some you know, public works and other, a lot of city, uh, uh, departments, you kind of have to be there five days a week anyway, um, on, on hand, uh, on the job. Um, but uh, in the private sector and other areas, it's different. Um, and there, I don't see how a city and the mayor or any government can, can force the issue here other than incentivizing it somehow. Other than, you know, they can't penalize it. They can't make it punitive. They can only make it some sort of an incentive to businesses to offer, you know, five-day work weeks again or to offer incentives for employees who want to come back, right? Um, God knows what those are. Um, but I... <clears throat> Again, this is this the small business owners in there just saying like the mayor should do something, the the government should do something. There's a severe misconcept misperception and misconception about what government is and can and can't do. Um, we found that in the last story, right? And we found it here again. Uh, I think people just really don't have an understanding of the limitations of um, and the function of government. Um, so it's not it's not this unfortunately you know fortunately or unfortunately it's not to regulate private businesses and it it may just be that the amount of restaurants that were around to support these businesses the was unsustainable long term with or without covid um yeah no yeah very much so i mean I'm, and i i misspoke there i shouldn't say that they're not here to regulate private businesses of course they regulate them right for, for fair wages and uh, and workers' policies and protections um, and many other uh, things. But I don't know how they can mandate this, right? Like the, the a business is going to be free to define sort of what their work week is. Um, and it's really up to the employee at some point um, and the employer. Um, and, and unless they're you know, fundamentally going up against labor law or wage, you know, committing wage theft or anything like that, there's really not much government can do. And like what if what if more people are just brown bagging it anyway because they get they like you know while you were stuck at home maybe people learned how to make quick little meals and stuff for themselves too so there may be some of that going on too the people that are going back are like wait i don't have to go out to eat every day i got hello fresh bitch or or i just made a bunch of chicken and rice at the beginning of the beginning of the week and it's in tupperware and i just throw one of those in my backpack uh don't cook fish at work Definitely not. Definitely not in the microwave in the cubicles. Ew. <laughs> Ew, folks. Ew. Don't do it. Don't do it. But there's also not, it's not just that people are working from home. There's just a lot of layoffs at some of these tech firms mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and like people are, people, in the mission, sorry, uh, ha like Twitter is at 15% of what it used to be at. So I'm assuming the business is around there, even though, even though apartheid Clyde's making all those people come to work every day. Um, there's still like not as many of them. So the businesses around there are suffering from that. Cause that's 10,000 down to like what? 12 or 12 to 1600. I forget what the number is, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but you know, there's <clears throat> the restaurant. The other thing is the restaurant business is just hard. Like it, you are, you are the most likely to go out of business any given year as a restaurant, no matter, you know, if it's your first year, it's more but you're still just very likely to run into problems as a restaurant. Um, you know, any, any number of reasons, uh, lots of government regulation on restaurants, which is a good thing. Actually, we should be regulating the food that people eat, but 
you know, overhead regulation. You got to buy the food. You waste a lot of food because you don't want to run out of things. You know, there's just a lot of a lot of problems with running a restaurant. It's a very a very rough, difficult business, and yeah. so that's <clears throat> sort of in the background of all of this, anyway. Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of these businesses were struggling to begin with. Um, COVID certainly didn't help anything, um, but maybe it also exposed, um, you know, conditions and uh, concerns and, and issues within the industry um, that uh, have been neglected for too long. Um, and now we're finding out the hard truths. Um, but yeah, no, running a restaurant has very limited profit margins. Um, you do it because you love it, um, not because you're trying to get rich. You're not, not everyone's going to be freaking Bobby Flay. Um, so yeah, you, you, you do it because you love it and you don't make a lot of money doing it. Um, I have family who did it and they got out after a while. It was just too much, you know, um, 50 years and couldn't hack it anymore. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think we need to rethink our business models, um, and, uh, not necessarily blame the mayor and the board of supervisors or whoever, you know, in your local government. About and it. I mean, we're no fan, of, we're no fan of mayor London breed, but this, sure. this, this ain't her. <laughs> no, it's not her fault. Not her fault. I mean, other than, you know, all, all you can fault her for is thinking or talking as though APEC was going to solve problems or be a solve on wounds. And it's not, it's anything but right. It's the reverse. Well, and <clears throat> you know, every time we've learned, you know, just look at the Olympics and what it does to cities. Like mm. think, you know, it, everybody's like, Oh, we're going to make all this money from the Olympics. No, you're not. Mm. It's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Like the Olympics are cool. It's good for you. It's like good for, you know, whatever, but don't like, we shouldn't be, thinking that the one conference is gonna like like there's just no way first like again conferences there's a lot of catering going on at conferences mm -hmm. you could never leave the conference hall and probably eat pretty well and not have to fucking pay for it oh yeah very much so you don't have to leave the conference grounds at all that's really why they they try to get you to do really is just to stay there the whole time and stay in their controlled captive environment the whole time um so yeah that's the point not to go out and see the city or see that. I mean, I've, I've, I've been at conventions, you know, so many times and rarely if ever do we actually get out and, you know, see the town, you know, outside of like a small area within the conference or the convention sort of, you know, if there's uh, a restaurant in the hotel, that restaurant probably does pretty good. Oh, it's hot. It's hopping. It's absolutely hopping. And there's, you know, usually there's like a little maybe strip downtown right outside, you know, like the gas lamp in San Diego, for example, right where you can go out and, and do anything but it's again you're all self-contained in one little space with everyone so like i just remember <clears throat> i just remember uh i've gone to i can't imagine like when furcon comes to the san jose convention center i can't imagine the businesses see a bump maybe the gay bars but seems like there's lots of furries running around but i don't know what they're doing uh, yeah, well i don't know yeah i don't know and it like at netroots nation i don't know if a lot of the businesses saw, i mean due to me taking everybody on a tour maybe but that's just 55 south uh splash and max that saw a buzz from that a bump from that because i didn't want to take anybody anywhere fucking else um yeah it's a mess these big events don't really help these cities they oftentimes uh like like happened here like hurt the local businesses uh not just in lost revenue but just well, no, it's just lost revenue, especially what if you staff up because you were told that this is going to be a 
that it's going to be hella busy around there. And then it isn't now it's not just that you didn't make the original amount of money you were going to make, but now you paid extra money to staff up, bought extra food, maybe did mm-hmm. marketing, tried to market, yeah. spend money on yeah. marketing it for the convention. Like there's all kinds of stuff that you might do if you're told that there's going to be a, there's a likely bump and that you have to, you know, try to get these customers and then they don't go because there's a, there's catering. <laughs> like, I mean, catering probably a catered breakfast is garbage, but it's free. Yep. Always going to choose the convenient free options right there. So we're going to move down. We're going to move on to winners and losers, where if there are any winners, it's really not the fucking person you were rooting for. We got uh, San Francisco business owners are fed up with bike lanes. (laughs) Yeah, this is a very series of SF business owner stories. So uh, they're, they're pissed off about this or that or the other thing. Here's this and that. Maybe they, maybe those businesses that lost all that money during APEC could have marketed a cyclist. I think it'd be pretty easy to navigate through there on a bicycle versus a car, but it's just my opinion. Let's, let's take a look at what's going on here. It's uh, this guy's got a thing that says open Valencia, but I think his sign here may as well just say, fuck you and your bike. Business owners along Valencia Street are saying a pilot bike lane program is killing their business. As KTVU's Christian Kaplan reports, the SFMTA is looking for a solution to keep cyclists safe as well as businesses operating. San Francisco's Valencia Street is one of the city's major north-south corridors. Now, a year-long pilot program with a bike lane running right down the center of Valencia is underway through August of 2024. But business owners along the stretch with the center bike lane between 15th and 23rd streets, like Nikki DeWall, who owns Blondie's Bar, say that lane is killing their business. Over the course of the last six months, our business has dropped anywhere between 30 and 50 percent, depending on what day, uh, which is a huge impact. Business owners held a rally in the bike lane to call attention. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're like, hey, everybody's blocking the parking spots. And now these motherfuckers are blocking the bike lane and other businesses aren't anti-bike, but say that bike lane and the changes it's brought are now impacting all types of businesses along the corridor. They're all getting the same feedback from their patrons. There's nowhere to park. It's too complicated to figure the streets out. Even bike lane users say they're not fans of the center lane configuration. Hell no, it's not very safe because people here just don't really care and there's always construction over here and people get hit by cars. And um, I've seen more car accidents on this street since this middle lane's been here. SFMTA director Jeffrey Tumlin says the bike lane is a work in progress and that the SFMTA is committed to finding a balance to keep cyclists safe and businesses healthy. That's what we're trying to find with this pilot. And we're going to keep making adjustments until we get the dials fine-tuned to create the greatest public good while recognizing that the street is of limited right-of-way and it has a lot of needs. Organizers of the protest say the problems with the bike lane are symptomatic of deeper problems within the SFMTA and are looking at breaking up the SFMTA and or seeking changes to how the SFMTA is run and leadership is picked. SFMTA's director says the solution to frustration with the bureaucracy isn't to destroy the entire department, but to work with leadership to try to find a way forward. In San Francisco, Christian Kafton, KTVU, Fox 2 News. So the, the cyclist, I kind of agree with the cyclist that putting the bike lane in the middle is actually dangerous. It is. It is. It's, I, I don't see how that's the safest solution at all. Um, it's the one that probably has the least impacts to parking. So I can see why it happened. But yeah, that's not safe. For, it's not safe for cyclists any more than riding on the sidewalk. So like 
<clears throat> like I ride around a lot, right? And making a making a left turn, oftentimes I just go straight and then stop and then you know get going the other way, sort of down the street because I don't want to get in that that left turn lane. But in this scenario, you have to cross traffic to turn right as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, it, again, doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't see. I don't see a lot of this. That you see center lanes are for like bus rapid transit, not for bikes. So I don't don't really understand what's going on here. I've had a couple um, scenarios where I had to hop up. I had to hop up a curb onto the sidewalk to not. I don't know whether or not I would have been hit by the car, but it seemed like I was about to get hit by the car. And in this place, in this scenario, you got nowhere to go. Like if a car veers mm-hmm. off into the into the bike lane, like I guess if the bike if the bike lane the the best thing I've seen is the the parking. It's like road, and then to the right of the road is the parking, and then to the right of that is the bike lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Probably the preferred alignment from all parties. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, no matter how it's aligned, um, there ain't no one going to tell me that this is the reason why your business is going under. Just like with the last story, right? There's, you know, there, there are, you probably have some fundamental problems with your business model <laughs> that need to be addressed. Um, if you're you're losing that much money, um, because it doesn't look like they're losing that much parking, and it's really like people biking and slow, you know, p- passing by your store or your business at a slower pace um, or with more visibility, that that's a bad thing, right? And they're basically saying that cyclists don't have any money well, or bicyclists don't have any money. The other thing, and I think they had mentioned the mission, I think the gentrification and changing demographics of the mission might have something to do with it too, because the mission's kind of famous for like having entertainment and like divey bars that are like super cool. But now mm-hmm. all these, now fucking all these people with fucking money moved in there and they want this like kind of, they want like probably want like a more upscale experience. And these dive bars are probably suffering because they're like, that's mm-hmm. a dive bar. Whereas before right. it was like an art district and the fucking artists love a dive bar. My God. You know, <laughs> it was, it's just had character, you know, now it's, it's becoming more gentrified and, People, yeah, are looking for a different thing, right? Um, and there's less people looking for your thing, so. Yeah, and I, I, you know, as people that maybe move into the area and as it becomes more um, higher socioeconomic class, I think more people are likely to have a car. Mm-hmm. And then parking becomes a problem, whereas, you know, the mission, and I don't know if that, you know, I don't know if, you know, I don't hang out in San Francisco as much as I should, I suppose, but for a while, like the mission was where you could afford to live. If you wanted to move to the city, like the mission in the TL, right. You could kind of afford to go live there. And if you were, you know, like a lower income earner, you wouldn't have a car, but that's fine. It's fucking San Francisco. You probably shouldn't have one there anyway, unless you live out in the avenues, like, you know, like almost in the South city. Okay. Well, that makes Mm -hmm. more sense. But if you're like living in this dense urban center and you're comparing, complaining about nowhere to park your car, just up the way from your favorite bar, you're going to the wrong bar and you live in the wrong place. Right. Absolutely. Come out, um, come out where right. I live. There's plenty of parking and nothing to do. Oh, wait a minute. Oh shit. Wait a minute. Yeah, I don't understand how, I don't understand how these businesses are so reliant, especially in an area like the mission, right. Uh, are so reliant on uh, car traffic and car business. They should be marketed more and, and focused more on their local community. And yeah, giving, providing whatever it is that that local community wants. Um, and if it, that's changing and evolving, then you've got to evolve and change with it. it sucks, but it's how you survive, you know? I don't know. Like in San Jose, the only bars that seem to make it 
as things changed, like not just during the pandemic, but before, remember we talked about this before when downtown San Jose was essentially a fucking police state and the, the bars that survived were the dive bars mm-hmm. and like splash, but that's because it's splash, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gay bar. It's a niche bar. Like people will come yeah. from all over because it's a gay bar. And then the yeah. dive bar, just, just like three doors down from splash still cracking, still cracking. And it's like, and it's because it's because they're, they're suited to the neighborhood. They're, they're serving a niche and the caravan, for example, serving a niche, live entertainment, cheap drinks, um, you know, kind of a community vibe. It's and and if, if that's gone from the mission, then I don't know how these sort of neighborhoody bars are even supposed to survive because there's no neighborhoody anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no there there. <sighs> Up next. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to stay in the mission there, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is part uh, of the changing, the changing face of the mission, right? Is that the part of the cool thing about the mission was after you left the bar, there were street vendors. You go get a bacon wrapped hot dog with, with some, you know, some peppers and, and some onions that you probably shouldn't eat before you go home and go to bed. But you know, you got to have it. You got to have that fucking hot dog, God. little, little taco cart, you get some carne asada. Maybe they even were, didn't run out of cheese yet. And you can get some cheese on your taco. And, but now they're, now they're trying to run that shit out of the mission too. And that's got to be bad for the neighborhoody divey bars again, because it's the atmosphere that people would go to that bar for, even though it's not in the bar, it's like the atmosphere of the mission at night. So let's see yeah. what's going on here, man. I feel so, so I feel so bad for these fucking people. Not, I mean, the bar owners is much too, but like these people, especially it's like, come on, give me a bacon wrapped hot dog and let me give this person a $5 tip for it. Cause, cause I'm drunk and feeling generous. And as you can tell, this show is live. It takes a minute for things to go. Silent protests. Now some vendors in San Francisco are taking complaints about a vending ban right to City Hall. They've been trying to get that new ban delayed after the holidays. NBC Barry Sergio Quintana has details on their latest strategy. Several members of the city's Street Vendors Association marched from Mission Street to City Hall today. They agree Mission Street has become violent and even deadly because of illicit sales by illegal vendors. But the members of this group, made up of vendors who have legal permits from the city to operate, say they are not the problem. It's kind of hard to say. It's real complicated because the city make us look like uh, criminals. We are not criminals. We are families. At prior protests and demonstrations, they've gone after Mission District Supervisor Hillary Ronan. Today, they're trying to get the attention of Mayor London Breed. Organizers say a complete ban on vending is a result of little to no coordination with the people who would be directly affected. They put this, you know, top-down policy where it's 90-day ban, right? And they didn't think about all the actual uh, implications and damage that would be done as a result of it. Otherwise, they would have prepared ahead of time. In an effort to get their issues heard, the Mission Street vendors took their demonstration into City Hall. They took their list of concerns to Supervisor Hillary Ronan's office. No one was there, so they dropped their list into the mail slot. At the mayor's office, they presented their list of concerns to a front office attendant who quietly received their list, then went back to his desk. The vendors had hoped for more of a response from the mayor's office. How did it go? 
Uh, well, it was kind of sad, but that was at least we expressed ourselves and we raised our voices. Rodrigo Lopez says the Mission Street vending ban has been devastating for him. He moved to a spot off of Mission Street, but his customers don't know where to find him, so his sales have plummeted. Mayor London Breed says her office just met this week with Supervisor Ronan's office to try and figure out some remedies for the vendors. We don't want them to be penalized financially because of all the other stuff that's going on. According to the mayor's office, they've recently modified qualifications for a $1,000 grant, which now makes most permitted vendors eligible. The 90-day ban on street vending was imposed as an emergency because of illegal sales of often stolen items, and last month a vendor was killed by another vendor. In San Francisco, Sergio Quintana, NBC, Bay Area News. Oh shit, a thousand bucks for three months. They're in the money. Right at the end there, your bacon wrapped hot dog. They tra- they dropped it in there at the final moment. Yeah, they're what do you mean a thousand dollar grant for ninety days? What the fuck? That's like ele- that's like eleven dollars a day. Yeah. I mean then God knows how much they're gonna have to actually go around, um, the folks. It's just more bullshit, really. Um it's like what's pushing them off one street, so they just they set up on another street. But yeah, they you know uh, not going to be found in that other street. But uh, just just pushing them aside, sweeping them under the rug, blaming you know illegal sale. Oh my god, illegal vendor sales. Jeez, oh, oh, jeez, Louise, I'm shocked. Um, blaming whatever like in a vendor on vendor violence. You know, welcome to the city. It's just an excuse. An excuse, another excuse from Mayor Breed and her administration uh, to clean up the city. Whatever the fuck that means. Right, exactly. But it usually um, and typically and seems to impact, you know, black and brown people and uh, small business owners and uh, the little person. So, uh, yeah, it's more of the same, I guess. Well, let's go across um, the bay to Oakland. Yeah, so this is a story we covered last week. Uh, we were looking ahead to um, a potential teach-in by Oakland teachers uh, who wanted to give a little more of a well-rounded uh, approach and well-rounded uh, lesson on what's going on in Gaza right now. Um, so we're going to find out uh, what the Oakland Teachers Union thought of it and uh, what actually happened understand that some teachers and parents are responding to plans for a group of OUSD teachers to incorporate pro-Palestine lessons into their classroom work today. It's being called a Gaza to Oakland teach-in. Happening now, our Ali Rasmus live at Lincoln Elementary to explain the pushback this is getting from many families, teachers, and also the school's superintendent. Yeah, the school superintendent and the district as a whole has been quick to point out this is not a sanctioned event and this is not uh, approved curriculum that's supposed to be presented today. Meanwhile, the Oakland Teachers Union says its union leadership, its union reps voted overwhelmingly by about 60 percent to host this uh, teach-in. They're calling it Gaza to Oakland and the union says that the goal here and the idea is to present, in their view, uh, more uh, in a variety and different sources of information on the Palestinian conflict and the conflict in the Middle East. This teaching about Palestine is education, labor power, solidarity, and resistance, all meshed into one action. 
That's part of the materials and video for this teach-in that is shared on social media. Some OUSD families have come out in support of it. Others, though, aren't happy about it. They say the concept behind a pro-Palestine teach-in is inherently one-sided. They're worried specifically about images, phrases, and wording used in the teaching materials. Uh, they believe some of the content is inaccurate or even inflammatory. One of the teachers who helped organize this Gaza to Oakland teach-in says there is no set curriculum and that it is up to teachers to decide whether and how to participate. You'll hear from her, followed by another OUSD teacher who's concerned about the materials and an OUSD parent we spoke to with their response. Take a listen. We can't force anyone to teach it a certain way. This is not, you know, in education, there have been times where curriculum has been used in a lockstep. You know, there has been like scripted curriculum. This is not scripted curriculum. This is a developing curriculum. Everybody participated. We took it from several, many sources. My biggest concern is, is that um, is that we're raising a generation of anti-Semites. I think what? that it's a good idea to teach all sorts of different perspectives, all sorts of different ideas. This guy. I think that some of the material that was in the stuff that was posted online is controversial, at least probably in bad, some of it's in bad taste. Now, in a statement from OUSD superintendent, she criticized the teach-in. She said, quote, I'm deeply disappointed by the harmful and divisive materials being circulated and promoted as factual. The Oakland Teachers Union says some of its members have been put on notice by the district not to participate in this. It's not clear what kind of disciplinary action they could face if they do, but the union says it's in their contract with the district that their members have a First Amendment right to speak about current events to their students. Now, if you would like to see some of the materials that are supposed to be included in this teach-in today. We've posted it on our website, ktvu.com. Live in Oakland, Ali Rasmus, KTVU, Fox 2 News. So here again, we, we've we long suffered with uh, this problem talking about this issue, is that okay. any discussion about the nation state of Israel and its actions as it pertains to uh, pa the Palestinian territories are oftentimes it's accused that of being anti-Semitic, even though the nation state of Israel is a nation state and not a religion. And we have, we have people who maybe don't understand the, the difference, the, the, the difference between the two things talking about how this is such a bad thing. Yeah. I, I and it's just, it's, it's something where I, I haven't been hesitant to really get into it much in, in this space, just because there's really no, you know, there's no win. <laughs> it's winners and losers. Right. Um, in the conversation, uh, no matter what you say, you uh, seem to be offending someone or another. Um, but yeah, the, the notion that, if you're insult, you know, you're you're upset with, or you're criticizing the nation state, as like you said, of Israel and their policies, um, and that's somehow conflated to being anti-Semitic or being anti-Jew um, or hating Jews. Uh, there are two different things. However, this is not how folks see it, right? That's not how uh, many Jews see it, um, and, and and it's it's not well, their that's, that's perception. That's funny because that's 
not the the people who complain about it most are generally uh christian people like like right-wing christian people most a lot of the leading voices in a lot of these protest movements are in fact jewish people so it's like it's it's more complicated but you know this is this would be like suggesting that criticizing america is anti-christian right because america bills itself as a christian country or whatever sure um uh well i don't think they bill ourselves as that which i sometimes in some ways we try and bend over backwards to try not to um blend the two but when it comes down to it they're blended and it's uh, innately tied uh this country is innately tied to judeo-christian values um so uh, yeah it's 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 simply a matter of perspective and where you're coming from on the issue and uh but yeah, i i would tend to agree it's it's two different things. Um, you can absolutely criticize the the state um, without you know, impugning uh, an entire religion, um, and be sensitive to it as well. Um, and but also recognize that our Judeo-Christian state of uh, the United States and in Britain um, were fundamental in establishing the nation state of Israel. Um, and there's a lot of questions that can be had about <clears throat> you know how that was done and why it was done and um how effective it's been in actually um you know uh preserving culture and protecting peace um i don't know that it has been um, you know just just uh myself personally i'm pretty careful when i do talk about this stuff because it does come up in the context of our other shows and i i'm pretty pretty clear talking about the benjamin netanyahu's Likud party and the governing coalition running the the, the government there and uh i think that you know, I, I hope that the curriculum, as it as it is, uh, is careful in that same way. That, that's what I hope. One would hope, um, but again, that now they're saying that there really wasn't a set curriculum, which is a little disturbing. Um, uh, that you know, t- teachers were just let to kind of do what they want, or maybe choose from a menu of options. Um, so that's a little disturbing. Um, last week, the story seemed to Im- indicate that the curriculum was approved and and vetted and, you know, and fit the, the whatever common core and other curric, you know, curriculums that the kids are supposed to be getting. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, we'll learn more, but, uh, for now the union is defending their teachers and, uh, kids are hopefully getting a broader perspective. Hopefully. And we'll, hopefully. we'll see how this shakes out. We'll see how this shakes <clears throat> out. That it's, 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 it's unfortunate. I think that, that people, I think people are frustrated with the federal government, and so they're looking to local local government and their local community for for uh, redress of their grievances in this case. And um, you know, local community has some ability to educate and have discussions about these things, but they don't have any ability to redress anybody's grievances as far as the U.S. foreign policy on this. And it's, no. I think people, I think people are frustrated as as well they should be. I think you're also dealing with issues that. Are- thousands of you know, millennia in the making um so there's only so much that can be, t- be done uh in the near term this is a obviously something that's going to um go on for many many years yep okay well we've got one more in winners and losers uh people are debating about a seating area at berkeley park plaza i, don't, I, I have no idea i have no idea Just, what this is about this is going to be stupid i guarantee it though 100% run it. 
Now to a debate between public access and the need for safety. A new patio is now open at the Berkeley Bart Plaza, but the seating is only for customers of nearby businesses. As Max Darrow shows us, critics worry this is only a tactic to keep away the homeless. Simone Arpaio is gearing up for another day of gelato sales. He's the co-owner of El Mare Gelato, located on Shattuck at the downtown Berkeley Bart Plaza. He likes the location, but says operating here isn't always sweet. It's always been an area somehow affected by crime, maybe because of proximity with BART. As he readies up some wholesale orders before opening up shop for the day, he's glad to see this happening outside. Ambassadors from the Downtown Berkeley Association setting up the new pop-up plaza patio seating area. It's a shared space reserved only for customers of the five merchants at the plaza. I don't see who can disagree with giving a safe area to people, honestly. It's not that we're taking anything away from anybody. The plaza is free, Berkeley is free. We're just trying to add a layer of safety for people. So the idea is to welcome more people. John Kaner is the CEO of the DBA and says they wanted to create a safe space for customers as local business owners said some customers were being bothered and harassed at the plaza. Occasional disturbances, but also just people not feeling comfortable um, necessarily staying in the plaza. What we wanted to do was create a, a clean and welcoming space under um, outdoor commerce sidewalk permit. He says the DBA spent around $1,500 to create the seating corral, which goes up in the mornings and down in the evenings. We didn't take away any seating for the general public. Uh, we added seating. But there are folks who call this a privatization of public space. It is absolutely an issue for me. Like Paul Kailoa Blake, who runs the organization Consider the Homeless. We're an advocacy and food supplier to the unsheltered. He sees this as a way to try to push homeless people out of the public plaza. Privatizes the public space, which makes it harder for organizations like ours to connect with people. We really need connection rather than disconnection and polarization of people. Arpaio says, We don't have anything against homeless people, but criminals, no. It doesn't have anything to do with our take on homelessness, our take on social issues. We are unsafe. We feel unsafe. We are attacked. This is a tool to maybe feel a little safer. Arpaio hopes it helps out. Blake doesn't think it addresses the root problem. It's a pilot program for now. Time will tell how it works out. And despite the signage, merchants say everyone is welcome and people are only being asked to leave if they are causing problems. So I'm confused now. <clears throat> is this city of Berkeley owned or is this a plaza where the, the landlord for these businesses owns the plaza and it happens to be in front of the BART station? Uh, unknown at this point. Um, if it's the DBA that's doing this, then that's not a city entity. That's um, a business association. So it could be the private businesses doing it but i don't know who owns the plaza and the land in that plaza that specific that specific space it could be city space i could totally see it being a public space of some sort some sort of co-owned bart slash city space um but you still need it regardless you'll still need a permit to do something like this um and to have seating on the sidewalk like that in any kind of public plaza public space um it's it's regulated so um 
Yeah, but I don't know who who owns them. I would imagine it might just be privately owned, um, but yeah. they still have to have permits to do all that. So if it's pri- <clears throat> if it's private if it's private land in front of the BART station, then they can do kind of whatever they want as long as it's not like doesn't violate local ordinances. Um, yeah, and you know, people in chat were kind of joking that like you know the that's you know it's like the velvet rope, right? It's like it's like it's not really they're not really protecting anyone from anything. With yeah, this, th- with these little canvas uh, strips of fabric, they're not. No, no, not at all. Um, and if anything, you're just sort of ex- exacerbating the problem or, or, or exemplifying the problem. I don't know. Um, but uh, there, uh, they could be that they're privately owned, but it's public accessible, right? That's part of the covenant or part of the entitlement for building the, the or renovating or remodeling the building itself, right? Whatever went up there, the development. Um, when it was created, it could have been a shared agreement with the city where it has to be publicly accessible space, um, which comes with its own permutations and guidelines and regulations, um, not just private space. So more likely, more likely that's what happened. It's like a hybrid. This seems stupid. Uh, yes. (laughs) Well, the, the the concept and, uh, the, you know, I totally understand the, the controversy um but uh yeah it's just a silly silly concept in the first place um just figure it out put some seat if you want some you know you want some seating for your customers put some seats out get a permit put some seating out in front of your establishment i've been right i've been there i've been to that ike's before there's, there's plenty of space there for folks who want to uh, if, if the businesses want to have um their own little space um this is just you know the downtown association being just too heavy-handed and and overreacting probably to you know one or two people I, as usual i might have gotten off of bart at that station five thousand times <laughs> like, yeah a million times right? i mean i'm maybe i may be slightly i may be slightly over but you know there's a there's a place where i i supposedly learned things not too far away from that fucking from that fucking place and like <clears throat> so that the plaza you just get off a of part and you walk through it. I don't understand why you need seats right in the middle of it. Like what happens when it's like really busy? Like, yeah, it seems a little bit in the way too. You're right. Um, it's just fake. It looks like a little, like, I don't know, like one of those bank cafes, you know, <laughs> it's like, and it's just really, really kind of, it's like really kind of like velvet ropey. Right. Remember when the mm-hmm. velvet rope used to be like this idea, you'd go to, uh, you know, uh, uh, studio 54 and there'd be the velvet rope well now the velvet rope mm-hmm. is at the fucking bank right and right. so <laughs> it's like everywhere you go there's a fucking velvet rope this is very much that phenomena what i don't even know like what do you what do they have a person there checking like I'm just i don't think very so it confused. sounds like well it sounds like complaint driven anyway like you know you can sit there as long as you're not causing trouble so it doesn't look like they really have anyone actively you know monitoring it there's no like mater d there like, excuse me, sir, can I see your gelato receipt? Um, you know, there's someone there going to validate your fucking parking? Like, what's going on? Right. Or or your BART ticket. Oh, wait, there's no more tickets anymore. It's only Clipper card. Um, yeah, so silly, silly season. Silly season. And we'll that, that area isn't actually lacking for a place to sit the fuck down if you want to sit down. That's the weird part about this, is that there's plenty of places to sit down in that area. Maybe not right yes. in front of the business, but there's, like, benches everywhere. Well, yeah. Well, they, as the guy said, they're not removing. The, the DBA guy said they're not removing any seating, public seating. So there, there's plenty. There's plenty of space. This is just to make some some people feel a little less squishy. 
a little less squishy. Okay, well, whatever. It's hella dumb. Hella not very Berkeley of them. Oh, come on. It's entirely Berkeley now. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Modern Berkeley. Modern Berkeley. Some of the, some of the, some of the shit we got away with in that town. My God. Well, speaking of shit, who's going to get their shit together? Uh, San Francisco Police Department, it seems. Or San Jose Police San Jose. Department. Yeah, let's, let's find out more. Let, let's check out it, with a, which way in which they're going to get their whatever. I, I'm, that was the worst sentence I've ever said on the air. Let's see what's I going thought, on here. LaMonica is going to save it. Don't worry. New at 10 tonight, the San Jose Police Department announced a new strategic plan today that it says will build a stronger relationship with the community and more transparency. The five-step plan also emphasizes more accountability from the department. KTVU South Bay reporter LaMonica Peters live now at San Jose Police Headquarters with the details. LaMonica. Julie, I asked the San Jose Police Department why they decided to roll this plan out now, and they said it's because it's critical to maintaining the public's trust. There have recently been a few incidents that have caused the police department and the community to be at odds, and they believe that this new strategy will, fa will forge a new path for everyone involved. When we strive to provide exceptional service and invest the time to develop community partnerships, the community will have the highest level of trust in our department. Little, baby, little kid looks up and is like, fuck you, pig. The <laughs> department says it's making a stronger, renewed commitment to serving the community. The president of San Jose Silicon Valley NAACP says he's recently had more positive conversations with the department and is hopeful the new plan will produce results. This is the first step, but there's so much that we need to improve on. So, so let's give credit where credit is due. San Jose Police's strategic plan consists of five steps. Promote public safety, partner with a diverse community, create a more diverse workforce, improve service delivery, and secure more staffing resources. Reverend Moore says Chief Anthony Mata has also assured him that police will be held accountable in San Jose. Whenever there's a hateful incident where the cops are acting up, and Tony's assured me, and he can prove that they've done wrong and know that they've done wrong, he's going to fire them. San Jose police released a statement regarding its new strategy, saying in part, this proactive approach not only enhances public confidence in law enforcement, but also establishes a foundation of mutual respect, understanding, and shared responsibility. All I can do is hope, be hopeful, and think positive with that, and uh, ask the community to continue to try to work and continue to report the issues that come up. Reverend Moore also acknowledged that a San Jose police officer recently resi resigned after he was exposed for sending racist text messages. He says he's looking forward to more of that type of transparency and for the department holding itself accountable. Julie? LaMonica Peters live tonight in San Jose. Thanks, LaMonica. That, um, that image they showed, like somebody in chat said, looked really kind of workshopped, right? Like you'd see that at like a, um, like a, like a meeting that you have to go to at work that HR is putting on. They're like, here are the five steps for a better workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so Ch Chief Mata, just trying to sell it, do a little tap dance. Got to meet him the other night. Very, very interesting cat, um, but very much a politician. Uh, and uh, LaMonica Computers digging deep with the, the fantastic combination of purple jacket and um, eyeshadow. Um, okay. Very nice. 
Somebody well in chat did ask about the Antioch police and uh, no, no news this week about them, but they're probably, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're in the midst of a, of a, of a crisis in their department there as well. So yeah, it's we'll, just we'll, a, we're keeping an eye on the Antioch police department for sure. Yeah. It's just a lull in the news for sure. There's no, I'm sure there's nothing wrong there. I mean, and there's everything wrong there actually, um, but I'm sure there's uh, going to be no shortage of uh, additional stories as uh, in, uh, indictments and legal proceedings continue to flow out of Antioch. Um, but good on San Jose for uh, taking steps. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's all lip service and, and paperwork until we actually see the results in the community. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I wanted to hear, I want the audio of that little girl like, who the fuck? <laughs> who the fuck pinning some shit on me? Get away. Am I, she's all, am I being detained? Am I free to go? Yeah, right. <laughs> I know my rights, motherfucker. <laughs> my mom told me. <laughs> um, well, I think we did, we're doing a double whammy this week on getting your shit together. Looks like it. Um, but uh, it looks like the DA in San Francisco, Brooke Jenkins, uh, who was appointed to replace Ch Chessa Boudin, is getting after it herself and, and trying to cut down on them crimes. So we're going to get a little and update on her. In to the economy, there are also serious concerns about public safety and the fentanyl crisis. ABC 7 News reporter Leanne Melendez sat down with the district attorney, Brooke Jenkins, to talk about the work that needs to be done, and Leanne joins us now. Yeah, there was a lot to talk about. You know, Larry, uh, ABC 7 News has committed to following up on the issues that affect the Bay Area. We spoke to Jenkins on Monday during our town hall, but we felt there was more we needed to know about public safety and the drug crisis. It's been 17 months since Brooke Jenkins was appointed San Francisco's top prosecutor, replacing progressive reformer Chesa Boudin. At the top of her agenda was doing away with the open-air drug market and holding drug dealers accountable for their crimes. How's it going for you so far? What grade would you give yourself? At this point, I would give myself an A for effort. I, I don't want to make it seem as though we have completed the task, but we now have more law enforcement partners at the table assisting with addressing this issue than this city has ever had. This is more about human nature and human behavior than it is about our city. In fact, it's quite common to see both the police chief and Jenkins at events addressing public safety. On Thursday night, they came together for another town hall in the Bayview neighborhood. This year, Jenkins has filed 798 drug dealing cases, more than Boudin ever did in a single year. But that's also because police have made more arrests. Still, Jenkins faces the same issue that Boudin did when trying to convict drug dealers. Even motions to detain dealers are rarely granted. Now, where is the problem there? Who is the problem? The judges who are hearing these motions are the problem. Uh, we are articulating a public safety reasoning behind asking that these drug dealers be kept in custody. We're explaining that many of them have been arrested not once, not twice, even three times for, for dealing fentanyl in our city. And these judges are not taking it seriously. Criminalizing drug use during the crack cocaine epidemic of the 80s put more low-level offenders in prison, which then took a toll on the justice system. Jenkins says she steers away from that level of prosecution. She insists fentanyl is too deadly to ignore. The public safety risk that they pose is nothing like drug dealers of the past. We are talking we have two to three deaths from overdose every day in our city from fentanyl. Jenkins says her office tries to off-ramp as many drug users into treatment programs. 
yes, this criminal justice system has to be a tool for intervention with our, our drug addiction community right now, given we're trying to save their lives. With regard to public safety, Jenkins makes no apologies for taking a different approach when charging the people involved in organized retail theft rings. How are they being prosecuted today versus, let's say, two years ago? We are going to be asking that offenders who are committing organized retail theft as a crew be held in custody while those cases are open, as we believe they pose a significant public safety risk to shoppers, to workers in these stores. Uh, and we also have to make sure that on the back end we have appropriate consequences. That brings us to Proposition 47, making some property crimes a misdemeanor if the value doesn't exceed $950. Prop 47 was a ballot measure that was passed by voters across the state. And so not, we didn't necessarily understand what the long-term impacts would be. And so now we're discussing how we might have to repeal portions of that, but as voters. While voters may be considering tweaking Proposition 47 or not, Jenkins believes the California legislature can do more to introduce bills to toughen up certain laws when it comes to fencing operations and especially the fentanyl crisis. And just off the top of my head, AB 367, it was meant to add sentencing enhancements for those who seriously injure or kill through fentanyl. That was rejected. Now, I started reporting in the late 80s, um, and I remember, um, you know, uh, just how people would phrase certain things. Like, for instance, before it used to be tough on crime. And now you see a lot of these politicians in big urban cities who say, um, let's take a more balanced approach. And I think they're more closer to that, you know, reform they all talk about. I don't get that at all for Brooke Jenkins. I think she's definitely a tough on crimes uh, kind of a DA, and she's certainly built herself that way, and that's what she's banking on. So the, the, the nomenclature has just changed from tough on crime to uh, interest in public safety. That's how the, the language has changed, not oh, sure. we're taking the balanced approach. That's not, mm -hmm. nobody says that. They say we're yeah. interested in public safety, which is some tough yeah. on crime shit. This this number going up on a misdemeanor. I think before it was something like six hundred or seven fifty to nine hundred. Motherfucker, that's just keeping up with inflation. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's absolutely. I know it's it's kind of kind of crass and hyper capitalist of me to say that, but I mean, all we're doing is keeping up with inflation here, friendo. Same no. item, same yeah. item or group of items. Oh. And also, like when it's like organized, there are enhancements. It's uh, there are organized crime enhancements, um, some kind of racketeering like enhancements. Charges yes. are different um, for yes. the people at the top of these organizations. Again, racketeering like, I don't know what the actual charges are, but there are different charges for engaging in like organized, organized crime. Essentially, there are we we, we had a whole there they're like movies about that. It's a, it's a whole part of our culture. Yeah, it's called RICO, and I forget what the fuck it stands for, to be honest with you. Racketeering and um, influence corrupt organization. Hey, there you go. Uh, but I don't know that's, if that's, that's exactly I, I don't I don't know if we if that's the same if it's in California or whatever. But they are similar laws, yeah, for uh, that's organized crime. A, yeah, I think that's a federal statute, so it would apply here um, if if state prosecutors chose to apply it. But I mean, um, there are also laws that are similar, like state laws that have similar like yeah. attributes. Yes, absolutely. As, as the um, former president is finding out in the great state of Georgia. 
Yeah, there's always more. There's always the states are, are free to uh, develop their own laws that are more stringent or more permissive than the federal laws, and it really depends on the federal law itself and and the jurisdiction and the governing body, the 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 uh, and the uh, 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 law enforcement body that's def- you know protecting it, right, or or upholding that those laws, right, whether or not someone gets whether the states get slapped down for it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of freedom, uh, for the states to do all sorts of things. Um, and, and so, and lots of freedom for Brooke Jenkins to implement the law as she sees fit in San Francisco. As well. So let's, let's move on to down ballot watch where there's let's just a couple stories. Uh, if people don't know the different segments down ballot watch is stuff that is, I think we would say like more centered around voting and elections and direct like stuff about city and county governance versus the rest of the docket where maybe it's not so focused on elected officials. Yeah. Down the down ballot watches focus on elected officials. I'd say is the, a good way to uh, talk to describe that particular category. Yeah, and, on there's, the show. and there's not always a loser maybe, right. but there's usually, there's not usually a winner either. Mm, not usually yet. Sort of like, the, the, whole sh- the, whole, the whole show could just be called Bay area winners and losers. As far as I'm right. concerned, <laughs> we are then after all the ninth best local news podcast in all of California. So <clears throat> two more candidates have uh, entered the race for uh, outgoing representative issues uh, seat in district 16. Let's see who they are and see if we recognize either of them. One of them is LaMonica Peters. Candidates have announced that they are running for Congress to replace district 16's Anna Eshoo, who is stepping down. There are now Nine people vying to fill that seat. KTVU South Bay reporter LaMonica Peter is live in San Jose. And mm. more from LaMonica, you need to announce now. You would walk away with it. And it's about why Look at that. to run here, LaMonica. Fabulous. Mike, one of the latest candidates is currently a Palo Alto City Council member, and the other is a tech entrepreneur who has worked in the federal government. They both say that Silicon Valley is a special place with unique issues, and they'd like an opportunity to address them. And I saw a lot of men throw their hat in the ring. And I looked left and I looked right and I said, where are the women? Julie Lithcott-Hain says representation matters to her. And she's now the first woman to announce her candidacy for California's District 16 seat. She's a current Palo Alto City Council member, a former Stanford dean, and a Harvard Law School graduate. Now she says she's ready to tackle issues like housing affordability in the region. Our prosperity has left so many people behind. For example, I've got two kids who are 24 and 22. They have done everything right, studied hard. They're good kids. They get jobs. They cannot afford a one-bedroom apartment remotely near where they grew up. Born and raised in Silicon Valley, Peter Dixon also announced Thursday he's running for the seat. The former Marine says he used his military expertise to later work for the State Department during Obama's administration. He also... Oh, he a spy. I ain't voting for him. ...founded a cybersecurity firm. For things oh, yeah, he a spy. For ...education. You know, my big goal here is to go to D.C. and continue to be able to drive um, uh, resources back to the local community here that it's coming from. Dixon says as a father of three, he's also concerned about the country he fought to protect and what his children may have. Yeah, you ain't got that house on a government salary if you ain't if you ain't a spy face in the future. (laughs) 
And so the world that our kids inherit is not getting decided in the next 10 to 20 years. It is getting decided in the next two to five. And each of us uh, need to figure out what we can do um, to make sure that that it's the same world that our founders um, created when they built this country. Eshoo's term ends in January of 2025, and we'll find out which two candidates will be in a runoff next year in March. Mike? Campaign season is here. All right. LaMonica Peters live tonight in San Jose. Thank you for that, LaMonica. The first lady seemed uh, like a competent public service. The second the second person seemed like they were one of the bad guys on burn notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like an extra i don't know um or maybe an understudy i don't know much about mr dixon obviously uh but it looks like a marine version of austin bennett maybe oh yeah Um, yeah yeah. austin bennett uh, without well whatever or maybe the same set of problems just uh, uh money more money Right. Um, and yes, your read is correct on Julie Lithcott Hames, a very strong public servant um, uh, currently on the Palo Alto City Council um, and making her move and seeing an, an opportunity. She's right. There are a whole lot of dudes running um, and women uh, at the end of the day make up more than half the electorate. So there you go. Um, that being said, women don't always vote for women. She is also a black woman, so she's fighting racism as well as sexism. So, uh, especially around here, where they're like demographically the uh, black, like versus the rest of the United States in this district, black folks are uh, underrepresented in the population pretty dramatically. Very much so. Um, this district is heavily Caucasian, heavily Asian American, um, not so much Latino, and definitely not so much uh, African American. But again, she was elected in Palo Alto, and that's. Uh, at large, there's something to be said about that um, citywide. Uh, so, you know, uh, again, we'll see what happens. Uh, and again, being the only woman on the ballot is, it's a distinction when there's a bunch of wangs running, basically. <laughs> when I say wangs, I don't mean the the, the surname. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it, it, there's a lot to be said for, for anything you can do to distinguish yourself in a race like this, right? In a short race, where name ID and 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 uh, recognition is the most important thing um, is important, and so she ha- she is automatically has an opportunity to distinguish herself uh, in multiple ways. So I um my my take on this is that I think this is um, Evan Lowe's to lose. Actually, I think Evan Lowe, even with Sam Licardo. Having having like a lot of name recognition, I think I think this is Evan Lowe's to lose. So I, I we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the polling will come out and we'll see Sam ahead. Um, but it's, I think this is Evan Lowe's uh, race to lose. It's all about how much money he can raise, how quickly, how quickly he can. Or they can all organize a campaign because um, again, the ballots go out like the first week of February. So and this is a huge district we're talking about. So. I don't um, see endorsements mattering that much. Although, if Mayor Ed Two Hundred Nine endorses anybody, it's probably going to be the uh, the the bad guy from season three of Burn Notice, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get that. I don't get that he would endorse uh, Licardo, honestly. Um, even though I think Licardo endorsed him um, simply because Mayhan just spent his entire campaign talking about how you know the, the city was being run into the ground, <laughs> and I was on Licardo's watch. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens here. I, again, I I think that uh, the the white dude from Palo Alto, I would never bet against, right, Joe Comedian, <laughs> um, and he's he's got many many dollars in the bank already. So that's and that's going to be the name of this game is being able to just. And my know, take blanket. is my 
my take is like his his opponents could just disappear, end up in Gitmo. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible. Entirely possible. God, imagine Sam Licardo in like a in like a prison for running for office because he ran against <laughs> a spy. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, like, like. Oh, Dixon! You're talking about Dixon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. I was talking about Sumidian. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I'm talking about Dixon. I think he's a spy. Oh well, didn't yeah? Didn't they say he was a spy? Well, not in so many words. The lines? <laughs> not in so many words. Anyway, anyway, up next, speaking of Mayred 209, uh, this is actually, I'm going to probably be pretty pleased with what's going on here. It looks like uh, Mayred 209 is uh, trying to protect some people from uh, evictions. So let's see what's going on here. Now push to make it easier to make it in the South Bay. San Jose leaders have a new proposal they hope will protect hundreds of people living in mobile home parks, protect them from eviction. As NBC Bay Area's Ian Cole explains, the issue is that they own their homes, but they don't own the land they sit on. It's, it's very important. Martha O'Connell has lived in her mobile home for nearly two decades. She owns the home, but does not own the land that it's on. And that means there has been a constant fear of the future if the land is ever sold. Mobile homes are the last bastion of affordable housing in, in the state of California. San Jose has 58 mobile home parks, the most of any city in the state. Now the San Jose City Council could vote tomorrow to add another layer of protection for them. The new proposal would add a new land use designation that would make it more difficult to redevelop mobile home parks. It's an issue O'Connell has worked on for seven years. I am delighted that the end is coming. This actually calls out in a, in a very clear way that the intention of the city is for these sites to be used as mobile home parks. And so it makes clear what the land use designation is today, making it that much harder for it to change in the future. That protection will first include 13 of the 58 mobile home parks. The rest will be voted on in the coming months, and the mayor has included it as part of his budget. And we've got to protect these vulnerable residents who tend to be working families, seniors, and we've got to make sure that they're protected from displacement. People in San Jose may remember the fight over a mobile home park next to Santana Row. A developer wanted to turn it into luxury condos, and after years of back and forth, many of the residents signed agreements as long as they could move into one of those new homes. While there's no projects in the works to tear down another San Jose mobile home park, the residents say this next step would certainly help them. Well, this level of protection is going to let mobile home residents sleep just a little better at night. In San Jose, Ian Cole, NBC Bay Area News. Those little communities are adorable too. Like, um, he lives in one. So it is weird, right? Because you own this this house, and if you get evicted from the property, then oh, what do you do with your house? Like, a <laughs> yeah, they're, they're mobile in name only as well, too. Like, it, it actually takes and costs a shit ton of money to move these things around, um, and to move them from one place to another, even to another mobile home, you know, lot. And there aren't a whole lot of spaces open out there, even though there's tons of mobile home um, communities, but it's just because they're filled up. Um, I also want to take a moment um, to shout out Martha O'Connell. Martha, you're the best. Um, she has been working on this issue for many, many years. You know who has been working on this issue for many, many years? Hmm. Mayor fucking Ed 209, who gets top billing on the headline on the story for some reason on the news and gets the quote because it's happening, like the, for, the, the policy that's been worked on and hammered out over the past seven years is coming to fruition on his watch. 
So he's taking the victory lap, even though he had very little to do with it. It began before he was even on the city council, and it's something that's going to outlast him too, and there's going to be more modifications to even after he's gone. So, But he's taking the victory lap and claiming credit for it, even though it's something that councils for the past many, many years have worked on, and council members who have long since left the council you know, were more instrumental in getting this together than Mayor Ed 209. So I just want to point that out, a little revisionist history there. So these, this is a situation where I think like, <clears throat> like uh, co-ops would actually be a, a really good solution um, where the, the residents are, I don't, I don't know how it would work. The state, I think the state government would have to step in and kind of backstop some of it, at least in the short to medium term. Having this be a co-op <clears throat> would be fantastic. It would create more stability for the residents, for sure. Um, the what they're getting as far as the layers of protection are actually pretty strong, right? That, so at least at the very least, what they have is protected, and their space is protected, and they, you know they can, the situation they're in is protected. Um, and then the agreement that the folks at the Winchester Ranch, um, which is now a fancy new development, you can all see it from two eighty at Winchester anytime you want. Um, across from Santana Row. Uh, you know, they, the residents there got a fantastic deal. Um, either they could you know, move into one of those fancy new places and have the same rent that they were paying on their mobile home site spot um, in, you know, perpetuity. Um, or they would get uh, substantial benefits to relocate and to pay for moving their mobile home to another facility. Um, so they, they ended up... Uh, coming out pretty well. Um, and I'm hoping a lot of them did take him up on the offer because, you know, my swanky new condo is probably a little better <laughs> than, than your double wide. And at the same rate per month, I, I think you'd take that. I don't know. Losing, um, losing like a freestanding, uh, home where you don't share walls with like somebody else though, is kind of big. Like if you're, it, it, if you like to entertain, for example, you know? Yeah, no, they had both. It, it uh, the, the development actually, um, it was built in phases. So there's a there's one main building that's mostly apartment style condos, right? And then there's uh, squatter buildings behind it that are separated, divided, uh, you know, multi-story in some cases, um, condos or uh, uh, you know, uh, um, yeah, condos. They're still condos, but they're not apartments, right? Um, and those were the ones that the folks from the mobile home community were anticipated to move into because those would get done the first. Those would get done first. Right, so they can move into those, and then their space would be cleared to become rest of the development. That kind of thing. Well, okay, yay! Uh, Sorry, little, little lane use <laughs> for for yourself on a on a Tuesday night. Um, so we're going to move over to Palo Alto. It looks like there's some uh, safe parking program at at churches that uh, looks like they may make permanent. Let's see what's going on here. Yeah, good on Palo Alto. Our mission of building a better Bay Area means finding and highlighting places of progress. And tonight, we're celebrating one of those breakthroughs. The city of Palo Alto is moving forward with a plan to connect people living out of their cars to housing. Tonight, ABC7 News South Bay reporter Lauren Martinez is live with the details regarding the city's safe parking program. Lauren. Amo, well, the city has piloted the program for the last three years. The vice mayor said this was an easy and obvious decision in order to provide a variety of services to those who were unhoused. The city of Palo Alto is expanding their safe parking program at churches in order to combat homelessness. 
I will enthusiastically support this motion. On Monday, City Council voted to permanently establish the congregation-based safe parking program. Now, more spaces will be available for people to park. The city currently has four churches where people in passenger vehicles can park overnight with access to restrooms and connections to social service programs. The city said this year, 34 individuals were connected to housing from these sites. So housing might be finding an affordable housing unit. It might be connecting with friends or relatives who provide housing. But again, returning to housing that is meant and and, and designed for human habitation. In January of this year, the city took a point in time count of the number of individuals unhoused in Palo Alto. 206 individuals were unhoused. 181 of those were sleeping in vehicles, nearly 88 percent. I have met with members of our RV dweller community who have told me they weren't counted. And I've heard that enough times from different people that it feels clear to me that there's an undercount. With the expansion, the city directed staff to gather clearer data on the population of those who are unhoused in the city. The vote to expand passed six to one. Council member Greg Tanaka was the only no vote. And I think part of the issue is that it's kind of lightly used because um, unlike other cities like Santa Barbara or, um, or like Mountain where they also have parking enforcement, uh, we only have the safe parking. So there's not much of incentive for people to park in these safe parking spots. Even though the data said the safe parking sites are not at capacity and not in demand, majority of council felt anyone connected to housing from the program is a win. 13 is not zero. It's not 12, it's not 11. Each one that we can help to a positive outcome is worth the effort. The city is also increasing the space at the public safe parking site for RVs located off Gang Road. As far as the next steps, two caseworkers, two full-time caseworkers will be helping out with data collection. From our South Bay Bureau, Lauren Martinez, ABC7 News. Palo Alto hey. leads the way. Yeah, like good on Palo Alto. Who knew? But uh, being good on the faith-based community for stepping up, that's something that's going on in San Jose as well. So good on them. And like the man said, one is better than none, and 13 is better than 12. <clears throat> and I like the one guy who was like, well, we're, we, don't have, we're not, we don't have any enforcement for the people that choose to sleep in their car, not in these places. It's like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could just turn, you can just turn it off. Just turn it off. But, uh, it's it's also good to have a safe space, no matter if it's legal or not, frankly, uh, and a place where you feel safe and you can go to the bathroom. That's always nice. And a house of worship is should be one of the safest places you can be. Not always, but should be. At least if you're an adult. Yes, exactly. Anyway, we're um, going to move on to Anne and other things. We got two here. We'll probably go through these pretty quick. We're uh, a little longer than usual, but eh, no big deal now. We're not not trying to like have a band set up like we used to i don't know if that was the worst man we were like like absolutely up against it because like people would be coming in like oh god what a what a fucking nightmare that was anyway that's not what we're here to talk about um looks like a longtime san jose community leader frank uh, fiscanelli fiscalini fiscalini yeah oh, lived to 101 yeah, I just wanted to celebrate him really quickly and give him a shout out. Former city council member, vice mayor, mayoral candidate, um, and uh, Eastside Union High School District superintendent. He'll, they'll probably go through his whole bio, but um, shout out to this guy because uh, he 
was it uh, one of those one of those uh, olds that did it right? Well, some sad news to pass along tonight coming out of the South Bay. Longtime community leader Frank Fiscalini has died at the age of 101. He was a school superintendent in San Jose and in 1990 lost one of the closest mayoral races in city history by just about 2,000 votes. He then ran for city council in 1992 and was elected serving two terms. Fiscalini also was a founding board member of Opera San Jose and was a supporter of numerous arts and education programs throughout the city sounds like a public servant yeah, yeah absolutely good on him uh, i've got to meet him uh many times and and converse with him and sh share stories um he was a contemporary of my grandfather even um yeah, but 101 good on him shit if i i only wish um and he was pretty spry at 101 too from what i hear so he had a clean bill of health i guess the night before even but sometimes just your time well, last All week, right. last week we did not have a um, vehicle versus structure. This week we have a vehicle versus structure. Uh, yeah, and uh, vehicles nowhere to be found apparently at the end of this. <laughs> the end of the day, so maybe the structure ate the vehicle. We'll find out here. Right. Another storefront in San Francisco left in shambles by a brazen smash and grab. And this time, it's a CVS in the outer Richmond. It was forced to close today after thieves smashed their truck right through the entrance and then just made off with an ATM. So our chopper was overhead as repair crews were busy picking up the pieces this afternoon at the store on 32nd Avenue and Clement Street. As Jose Martinez shows us, thieves are still using this tactic, even as police are ramping up their efforts to crack down on retail theft. Workers were busy today, boarding up this door and cleaning up glass left behind after yet another break-in. This time at a CVS store in the Richmond district. It's kind of sad. Sad and horrible. Danny has been living in this neighborhood for more than 30 years and tells me things are different now. Things seem to have changed since the pandemic, so I don't know, you know, it's like I haven't been traveling that much. I don't know what other cities are like, but it just seems the people are a little different, you know, people are kind of, I don't know. SFPD said at least five suspects smashed a truck into the front door of the store on 32nd Avenue at around 2.48 a.m. In a statement, CVS said we are cooperating with local police as they investigate an incident at our 32nd Avenue store overnight. A truck crashed into the building and the ATM was stolen. The store was closed at the time of the incident and we plan to reopen as soon as the police investigation is complete. Danny says these incidents trigger his anxiety because he himself has been a victim of crimes in the area, forcing him to make drastic decisions. Yeah, I no longer have a car. I sold it the second time I got my uh, converter stolen. I just like, so, you know, that happened uh, like within a year. I think it happened twice. But just a week ago, SFPD said that retail theft is going down thanks to their so-called blitz operation. These are retail theft abatement operations where officers are inside of retail establishments from Walgreens to some of our bigger retail outlets. Yet Danny says things are not getting better, so for now, he's going to keep riding the bus. Don't know if I'm going to get another car. And Danny tells me he wants to see more police officers here in the Richmond and district at all times, especially at night. 
So we've seen this before at high-end stores in the city as well. In October, thieves rammed their way into the Christian Dior in Union Square right before making off with handbags and other merchandise. Two suspects were charged in that theft. But the recent efforts by police, including undercover operations, are showing results. In fact, data from the Council on Criminal Justice found retail theft dropped 35 percent in the first half of the year compared to last year. Well, I didn't see the car, like I said, so I'm going to I'm going to say vehicle one, this one, if they got away. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> also, I like how they say their truck. Nobody uses their like you would. I mean, listen, I'm not trying to do this or suggest anyone do this. But if you're going to use a, a vehicle for this. Don't get one that's in your name. <laughs> you might want to, you know, steal the car first and then steal from the store. If you're right. going to be thieving, you might as well thieve it all the way, right? Not that you should. I mean, this is not only dangerous, but uh, like you shouldn't no, steal shit. Like it's not cool. It's not definitely not cool. But if you're going to thieve, I mean, just go full, go full bore. Just don't go at all. You know, go big or go home. Well, um, me and the council's next show. It'll be um, how to crime. <laughs> how to crime? <laughs> how to crime with, with the, the councilman. councilman. <laughs> I'll just I'll be taking your bribes uh, starting at twelve thirty. Am all right. Well, well, we had a little bit of a we had a little bit of rough seas here on the information superhighway, but everything seems to have um, uh, fixed itself. So, do you mind closing out the show? Not at all. Not at all. Thanks so much, producer Dave, as always, for joining me for another episode of Down Ballot. You can join us here every Tuesday night at seven thirty Pacific, except when you can't. And uh, we want to make sure that you are getting vaxxed, that you're wearing a mask when it's appropriate, but that pants are entirely optional if you want to wear shorty shorts, even in the winter. That's totally cool. Um, we're going to play some audible smoke, and producer Dave's going to turn the lights red. He already has. He's going to run over into the public comment space, and you should definitely stick around for that. I will see you next week. I got to go handle the bad baby. This is the councilman. Peace out. Have a great week. <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing green Sit with the front of the stage waiting for FTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing queen Now get the fuck up on and like the scene, yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man. You know where we are We're headed out to the car To smoke another one 
and another one Woo! Now just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing and you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it and then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band The joint now, who's got my lighter? Stone E, of course, shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be. I'm fucked up like the US economy. The truth is, is that I don't think logically. Stone E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey. Now, inside, motherfuckers is rocking me. And outside, shit, we smoke a lot of broccoli. Rocky the Rolly, all the sexy girl be jocking me. Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do a sloppily. We do what we want. And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Dance with the band Enjoy the band We do what we want What we want to do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band So sick.